Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. In this episode of The Lead, I talk to Amanda Bright, the managing editor for Grady News Source and faculty member here at the Grady College. I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Bright today about innovation in news production and delivery and how she is implementing some of these ideas at Grady News Source. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Lead Podcast is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Now, here's The Lead. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Bright. Today, we're going to be talking about innovation in news, which is your forte, and so I'm so excited to have you on the show So to kick things off, I'd love to hear how your background helped shape your passion for problem solving in the news industry, if you could call it that, or if you would call it that. Uh, Super interesting question. My background probably did not in any way actually or overtly shape that at all. Um, I really came into the love of journalism from a young age and into the beginning of my career thinking I wanted to do newspapers and I wanted to be incredibly traditional. I wanted to be a feature writer. I wanted to be a copy editor and then a designer. I was a news editor. I really had no interest um, out of the gate, uh, except for a a small experience uh, at the University of Illinois where we created the first kind of online publication. It was called Spike, which actually is kind of funny because it's reminiscent of actually putting copy on a spike to say that you were you've done with it we weren't going to use it um so it was already antiquated to begin with but it it was that initial experience where people were starting to say um in the late 90s you know what this internet may be a thing but but we don't have a lot of stock in it Eh, it probably won't be a big deal um that introduced me to it but it wasn't something i was driven about um and i think probably my early newspaper experiences um, and seeing the pressures the industry started coming under in the early 2000s made me thinking about made me think about pivoting. Um, I think maybe in a larger way to answer that question would be I've had like four different segments of life where I've done radically different things. And I think nothing spells innovation and thinking about new ways to handle things is when you recreate your entire career or you reinvent yourself um, into doing something you never thought you would do before. Uh, So figuring it out uh, and being open and flexible to opportunities as the doors open um, is something I guess I have become kind of addicted to. I get excited about uh, what we could be doing. And in, in this era, we could be doing just about anything. What, in I guess so few words, required you to pivot that many times? Is it just the nature of the communication industry that, or is it just the nature of your personality that you craved change? The latter. Really? Yeah. So I, um, I just get bored. And again, you know, maybe that was inbred in my DNA from, um, you know, further than I realized. I thought I was going one direction, but uh, I wanted new challenge. I wanted to try something different. Um, you know, there were other considerations too, but every time that there was a hill that looked unclimbable, I was very interested in trying to climb it and figuring out more about it. So yeah, I think the pivots really came from a desire to try something new and to experiment um, and to challenge myself. Why is the practice of innovation crucial in news production? Yeah, so I all of us have, who were in the industry at least a couple decades ago, have the story of the editors who were immovable, um, that had really believed that 
news um, and everything surrounding the news ecosystem had to be done a certain, had to be done a certain way. Um, and I definitely found those people to be a problem, um, but something that I wanted to work around and solve and I would convert, convert them <laughs> as much as possible to the idea that we could be doing it different. Um, obviously, this is of no surprise to anyone. We just have more avenues and tools. Uh, there's a systematic fragmentation in the news world that just wasn't there a couple decades ago even. And so there has been a bit of flailing about, um, but I think it's all for the better that we are thinking about audience. We are thinking about tools and platforms. We are thinking about um, product uh, when we think about journalism um, and some of these things may we may look back in 10 or 20 years and think that was kind of kitschy or you know i don't know if that was actually a you know a, a valid path to follow but i think any industry that um tries to do things the same way continually um, is missing out on the best it could be so um, when i was in public education it was the exact same way there were teachers in classrooms who were teaching the same lesson plans they had been teaching for 30 years that was not motivating and engaging the learners in front of them so journalism needs to motivate and engage the audience that's in front of us we don't always like that audience we don't always like to hear back from that audience but we need to and uh, i think the more ways that we brainstorm how to do that well um uh, the better so at a national level, do you think that globalization has a component here in introducing ways to tell stories differently so that they can appeal or provide more context to people of different countries and cultures? Sure. You know, I think there's a there's a difference. And I was talking to a, a colleague actually from a different department last night about how um, other news um, organizations in other countries are just so different. America has got its own uh, system and its own biases and its own kind of insular uh, perspective on sometimes. Um, but I do think that we're just competing in different ways, right? So um, it used to be a couple daily newspapers in any given city, um, but really you are competing against everything. Uh, and I think that does change um, what you're willing to do or how you approach it to set yourself apart. Um, I don't know if that's always, again, yielded the best results, but I get the motivation um, in order for survival to happen, but also for best practice in news delivery. So I think that's why we're seeing so much innovation because um, digital allows us to cross all of those boundaries. Every, every wall is permeable now in a way it just wasn't, again, even a couple decades ago. So as a news consumer on the other end of things, what, in your opinion, has been the greatest method of innovative journalism that you think really resonates with audience at a digital level? This is a big question, but not to be just particularly technologically deterministic, smart speakers, or is it we're breaking down the inverted pyramid? I mean, is it is it the way we tell stories or is it how it's being delivered or is it a little bit of both? Oh my goodness, it's a great question. My gut says to stay away from an answer that involves tools, you know, and, and we hear that... We hear that in our industry and in J schools, that students are so consumed with the tech that they forget good stories, right? I mean, this is a, a common critique. So I don't think it is the tools themselves, and I think they will come and go quickly and um, sometimes without fanfare. And that's to be expected and to be absolutely okay with. Um, certain tools are for certain times, and, and then, then they're gone. I would probably answer that by saying the multi-platform philosophy. 
Uh, I think, you know, when I started in journalism school and when people that I admired, uh, you essentially, if you were a journalist, you were a writer. Of course, there were visual journalists and they were very good ones. But the basic conceptualization of who a journalist was, was a writer. And I think being able to tell stories using different tools, but using the correct tool to tell that part of the story has radically changed what we do. Um, I do think it's also something that is very, very hard to execute well. And in my capstone classes, um, we are consistently talking about, but would this part of the story be best told through audio versus video? Because if I'm seeing the person's face, I'm getting all of these um, visual cues that perhaps are taking away from the emotion that's in their voice, right? Uh, those are really hard calculations to make and people tend to be good at some platforms or tools versus others and so they gravitate toward them even if they're not the best to tell that segment of the story so to me that's both the biggest complication and the biggest opportunity that we have in the current era and i think it's something that we are in it um, we're i feel like it's like we are with social media we're in the middle school stage we're we're emotionally making choices we are doing things based on what our peers do and we're looking oh look what they're doing instead of being a little bit more uh, adult mature and reflective about our choices but i think we'll get there what do you feel is the biggest threat to the news industry today and you can approach this from any any lens but i'm interested to hear what is the first thing that that pops okay into your brain. yeah so that's good to do because if you reflect too long it's always a problem okay <laughs> the um uh, i would combine apathy and news fatigue is into uh that category to me that's the most terrifying if people do not want to know about what's happening whether it's at the hyper local level or at the global level um we cannot engage in functioning democracy we cannot rule ourselves if we do not have information to make decisions. And I think so much of what we see in conflict, and I'm talking about not just national politics, which is where everyone's minds goes, which is a different problem, but um, even interpersonal conflict comes from a lack of knowledge, right? I mean, like hate, injustice, um, all, all of these, you know, gut level, foundation level social ills come from a lack of understanding and empathy. If people decide not to know about what other people are doing or feeling um, and decide not to hold accountable people who have power and given vestiges of life, that's it. I mean, that's the problem. Um, we could throw all of the cool digitalness of the world at it. And I love digital tools, I love technology, but it doesn't matter if people are not interested in consuming information about their world um, and feeling closer together rather than farther um, on the most important issues. So, so the, yeah, that's what probably keeps me up at night uh, closer uh, or more than anything else is, is that people will just stop participating in this dialogue with us where we try to understand our world. So to discuss your work on campus in the more lo local lens, what are some ways that you have restructured and revamped the coverage at Grady News Source, and why were those changes necessary? Mm, so this is uh, this is the the most fun part of being here is that I walked into a space where there was not there was there were a lot of ideas, but there wasn't a clear push, and I just felt tremendous support to cast a vision and then to go after it quickly and efficiently. Uh, so it was just, a, it was a pleasure to kind of think through that. Uh, I think a, a couple things uh, are driving what we do right now and that may, again, may change. Um, we are constantly innovating. 
Uh, one is that we want students to be in a very tight feedback loop when it comes to practicing journalism and crafting journalism. So the best way to do that is provide them with publishing experience that not only provides feedback from us um, as former professionals and professors, but also a live audience and, um, and, and their peers. Um, so that was really important to me is that students, um, hopefully they go to the red and black, hopefully they're interning, hopefully they're getting experience in all kinds of organizations and campus. But if for some reason they haven't, this is a unifying kind of capstone experience where they are able to do journalism in a pseudo realistic sense. And honestly, more often than not in a very realistic sense. Um, the second though, is to give them a place to innovate. Uh, one of the things that we feel very strongly about professor Cantrell and I have discussions about this, like pretty much every day uh, about how we can push the envelope. We're a university. We do not have uh, a foundational bottom line when it comes to money in that way. Uh, we're not worried about our advertisers abandoning us if we try something and it goes badly. We are in an amazingly unique position to see what sticks uh, and then to reflect on that and to try something different. And I take that responsibility and that gift very seriously. And so when we're doing digital storytelling, we're using social media. Um, now, as we continue to incorporate the broadcast and the digital as kind of a cohesive unit for our capstone, there's really no division anymore. It's just one big reporting staff. Um, the, the key is just to try new things. I want students to come in and say, this is what I'm picturing in my head. And I want to go, let's figure out how to do it. And that is the most exciting piece. Now, the third part is that we wanna serve Northeast Georgia. We know that all of our local news organizations are under tremendous stress and pressure. We know that the collar counties like Barrow, Oglethorpe, um, uh, Madison, Jackson, um, could use people to speak uh, into their worlds too. So we hope we're providing a service and we, we try to um, not replicate what other news organizations are doing, but tell different stories that aren't being told elsewhere so that we can, through our learning and through our innovation, also serve the community around us. Would you say that it that being almost in a pseudo-news desert situation makes it easier for students in Grady News Source to tell stories or harder because they're not as because the communities aren't as exposed to being served. There are definitely times, um, because we're affiliated with the university, that they'll say who <laughs> when we introduce ourselves as Grady News Source. I know that happens to the reporters a lot. Um, you know, I think once we explain who we are and what we're doing, um, you know, I guess maybe the your comment about, you know, it makes it easier because someone, uh, people generally want their stories told. They generally want someone to listen to them. They want someone to see them. Uh, I think it's just a kind of a human trait. And so when we show up and want to cover it, it's usually treated uh, with uh, with joy in that way. Now, we also cover hard issues that may expose things that may make organizations or, um, or situations look a little bit more um, complex. And we try to handle that uh, with ethics, with responsibility, uh, with sensitivity, um, because we do not want to be a group of college students that are parachuting in for a couple years or for a semester and then parachuting back out. We see Grady News Source um, as a bit of a, a legacy, a brand to uphold. And so that when future people go back to the school board in one of these other counties, um, they will remember the student who covered it last semester, who did a fair job and, um, and want to engage in that relationship with us again. So what is some advice you would offer to students on ways to be adaptable, critical thinkers when it comes to approaching news gathering? I think one of the biggest things that 
I feel strongly about, um, particularly at this juncture of digital media and what's happening with news organizations, is to ground everything um, in in thick sourcing and data. I think when I went to J school, and it wasn't obviously that long ago, everything was built on two human sources. Like that was just the foundation of every story that we told. You got two human sources. Hopefully they were different types of people. Hopefully they had different perspectives. And that really built your story. And I think because we have data, and I don't mean just, you know, ridiculous hard spreadsheets, but, you know, any quantitative and qualitative data now available uh, and accessible in different ways, I think that needs to ground the work that we do. Um, and, and sometimes that's what gives us the ideas that we have. Um, and I really work a lot in my graphics classes and my capstone classes at getting students to get excited about finding stories inside of information, numbers, public documents, because um, it's not sexy, but it is, um, it's where a lot of important things happen that affect people's lives. So I, w I really, I think that that probably is the biggest piece of critical thinking um, that we need to improve on. Um, but I think it also separates us from people who live stream coverage of something happening in a public space, right? So anyone can be a journalist in the sense that journalists communicate um, something that is happening to a larger audience. And because digital tools are now user-friendly by the masses, I think it is an amazing opportunity for journalists to say, okay, so where can I go a step further? I can physically be at the rally too. But how can I actually do something that adds to that conversation more than the person who's uh, posting on Instagram next to me? So that's the that's the conversation I always want to have. And I think it's just harder. It's more work. Uh, it's more challenging. You get more pushback. Uh, but it is what will differentiate us as um, communication continues to be a very egalitarian uh, system in the current age. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I think it is super easy to be dismayed and frustrated right now about what we do and why we do it. When I went to ONA, I felt a bit of a sea change among the professional journalists and the journalism educators in the room. I think now we've got words and phrases like product, like SEO, like um, multi-platform. We've kind of got it under our fingers. And I think there is a sense that we can start doing some of these things more universally and across the board that will benefit how we package news, how we deliver it to our audience, and how our audience receives it and is able to find out about what's going on in their lives. Um, and I feel good about that. Um, but I, I also feel like we're definitely not, we have not arrived in any strategic sense uh, at what journalism will look like next. And uh, I think that is the coolest part. And, and I hope students feel that. I am energized every day by the fact that we don't know where we're going and that we will make that path, that we will, um, we will figure things out, and that so many things that have happened because of the crazy disruption in all levels of what journalism means and how it does will only make us stronger, more responsible, more important to... Um, to democracy and how it functions in our country. Um, but it'll also make the lives of the people who are training to do this for a living matter um, in the larger sense. 
So I really try to share that. Like my enthusiasm um, in the classroom is is never manufactured because I legitimately believe this is this is such a great time, and uh, and I hope people aren't immobilized by uh, the uncertainty, um, but rather feel the pull to walk into that space and just try something new and see what happens. Dr. Bright, thank you so much for your time. This has been really great. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks for tuning into The Lead. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. To learn more from interesting media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.